You're listening to the Central City Assembly podcast. We're dedicated to sharing content that magnifies and multiplies Jesus for the good of our city and helps you grow in your love for Jesus. So enjoy this episode and may you be filled with the love of God the Father. Um, my friend Miguel is going to come and share a word with us. So if we want to just welcome him. Awesome. Thank you all. Man, I'm uh, really happy to be here. This is like the end of a really crazy week um, and a lot of hard work. I just got back from the Navajo Reservation and I got to serve a church with some of our Kaiapha students and it was awesome. So praise God. Um, Well, I'd love to begin by reading the word of God. And I always, every time I'm up here, just pull your Bibles. I will open by reading the Word of God. And I hope that you came here today to listen to the Word of God. And I'm going to read from 2 Timothy. So I'm uh, I'm excited. We're starting a new series. Um, And... uh, no matter what the series is, if you come to CCA regularly, you know the real theme is hard talks on national holidays. <laughs> and so I'm excited to continue with that year-round series in CCA. That's the true theme of the church. Um, and so, okay, uh, reading Second Timothy chapter 1. I'm going to read the whole chapter, okay, all chapter 1. Starting in verse 1, it says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did, as without ceasing, I am in remembrance of you in my prayers all day and all night, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which was first in your grandmother Lois and then in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is now in you also. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began." but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death, and he has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, to which I am appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher to these Gentiles. And for this very reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed... For I know whom I have believed in, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep everything I have committed to him until that day. Hold fast the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. This you know that all those in Asia 
have turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. The Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he sought me out very zealously, and he found me. The Lord grant to him that he may find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you know very well how many times he ministered to me, he ministered to me at Ephesus. Lord Jesus, we thank you, Lord. God, I'm so grateful, Lord, that you are trustworthy. You have been faithful to us, God, in our friendship, through friendship and our hardships. You are faithful to rejoice with us in celebration. You are faithful to laugh with us. And God, you're a good friend, Lord, who would sit down and cry with us. God, would you help us to understand, Lord, what your spirit would have us to understand from this text. Comforter, Lord, would you give us your interpretation of your text? Holy Spirit, please help. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so 2 Timothy. We actually have a very exciting context to 2 Timothy. Okay, so this is actually Paul's final letter. And it's actually a very personal letter where he is writing to his son, his son in the faith, right? The apostle Paul was never married, but he's read many spiritual children. And, and Timothy considers Paul to be like a father, even though he has an earthly father. As a matter of fact, you could say that Timothy is a church kid. His grandmother believed in Jesus. His mother believed in Jesus. And Paul says, I am assured that that faith is in you also. So Timothy is a third generation Christian. But he considers Paul to be like his father. Well, uh, the letter was written around the 60s AD, maybe 64, maybe 65 AD. But the context is that Paul is in prison. And he's in trial for his faith. He's sitting in Rome. And this time, even though Paul has escaped the jaws of death many times, he's actually certain that he's not going to make it out. He's actually convinced that this is it and that he's about to meet Jesus face to face. When you read 2 Timothy through and through, by the end, you hear Paul saying, I am certain that my hour of departing is near. Timothy, would you come? He, he's asking Timothy if he would come visit him in his last hour. So in 1 Timothy, Paul is writing to Timothy about a bunch of chaos that's happening in the church of Ephesus. Okay? Paul is sending Timothy to go to Ephesus to deal with a bunch of false doctrine and unruly people, specifically in 1 Timothy, a lot of unruly women. Which is why uh, he says all that stuff about how uh, women ought to keep silent in the church. There was a bunch of unruly women in that church that Timothy, that was spreading false doctrine and other crazy stuff. Well, now Paul is saying, I want you to leave Ephesus and come with me and join me in my last hour. And people even guess that Paul might be saying, I want you to take the mantle of what I've done up to this point and continue on this world church planting ministry, okay? So personal letter to his son, Paul is in his last moment and he's writing to him an encouragement of his calling, a warning of things to come and an invitation to come and spend time with him uh, before he passes away. So Paul spends all his time in this letter almost redef like defining Christianity for Timothy. Okay? This is Paul's message. 
suffering is the only way. What's happened up to this point, and you see him say here that all these people, and he lists the names of some of these people, have deserted him. They've abandoned him. And what was happening is that people didn't want to be associated with Paul because everywhere he went, he brought trouble. Everywhere he went, people were trying to kill him and everyone associated with him. And so people wanted to distance themselves from Paul very much like they did to, to Jesus, right? In the hour of trial, they went like, I don't know him. I don't know Jesus. And now they're saying the same thing about Paul. And so, and so he says, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor me, his prisoner. Like, I am so glad that, you know, this person was not ashamed of my chains, even though everyone else deserted me. People were ashamed of his chains. People didn't want to be associated with Paul. In other words, they tried to redefine Christianity in a way so that they wouldn't have to include suffering in it. They're trying to redefine their way of practicing Christianity that they have learned from Paul, that he learned from Jesus, so that they don't have to suffer. That's what's at stake. And Paul is almost telling Timothy, there's no other way. Okay? Anybody that tells you there's any other way is a deceiver. All who desire to live godly in this life will suffer persecution. There's no other way. So, I'm going to read to you, actually, some other scriptures that are going to bring to light why this is such an important theme for Paul in his life. Okay? So, remember, I told you, national holidays and hard talks. Okay? All right. So... We're actually going to open to one of my favorite books in the Bible that's going to help make sense of this book in the Bible. Uh, it's the book of Hebrews. Okay. Now, why is Paul, like Paul is concerned that people will fall away to some other strange doctrine and walk away from the truth. Okay. This is a real concern in the mind of Paul. Remember, like he's about to go meet Jesus. He's been laboring his entire life building up churches, has many spiritual children. He writes to one specific, like, specific son in the faith, and he goes like, these things that you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, you must commit to faithful men. Like, you must continue on the work. You know, he, he later on compares Timothy as a soldier. Like, you must suffer as a good soldier. And um, the reason why this is so important for Paul is because this is actually a real concern in his mind that everything that he's built for and that the churches that have been planted and that the believers that have been converted will fall away because of persecution. That they would consider temporal suffering more important than eternal suffering. That they would weigh in their minds, I'm not willing to suffer now so I'd rather believe in this, like believe something else and reject the message that Paul preached. Because the gospel that he preached and his life go hand in hand. Okay? So I'm going to read to you a bunch of scriptures in, in Hebrews. Okay? It's, like I said, we're coming to hear the word of God. And I'm going to read like, I don't even know. It's like 10 passages. Okay? And I'm going to read them back to back. So you don't have to turn there. They're going to be up on the screen. But they're all teaching the same thing. Okay? And I'm just going to note, this is what the Bible says. All right? All right. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1 says, Therefore, we must give the most earnest heed to the things that we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through angels proves steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received the just reward. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to, those, to us by those who heard him? Lest we drift away. Okay, Hebrews chapter 3, 
verse 5 says, And Moses indeed was a faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterwards. But Christ, as a son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm until the end. If we hold it until the end. In verse 12, he says, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But encourage one another daily. Every day encourage one another while it is yet called today. Lest any of you be hardened to the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ. If we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast till the very end. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 11 says, Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. Hebrews 6 verse 4 says, it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift. They have become partakers of the Holy Ghost. They have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come. If they fall away to renew them again to repentance. Since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God, they have put him to an open shame. For the earth which drinks in the rain and often comes upon it bears herbs useful for those to whom it is cultivated and receives blessings from God. But if it bears thorns and briars, it is rejected and near to being cursed, whose end is to be burned. Hebrews 6 verse 11 says, And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the very end, so that you do not become sluggish, but you imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Got all the verses marked up in my scripture, in my, in my, in my Bible. Uh, Hebrews 10, 26 says, For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. But a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing, and insulted the spirit of grace? For we know him who said... Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Hebrews 10.36 says, For you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come, and he will not tarry. Now the just shall live a faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. I didn't put this one up there, but Hebrews 12.1 says, We also, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, so that we can run with endurance the race that is set before us. Hebrews 12. 12 says, therefore strengthen the hands which hang down and your feeble knees. Make straight paths for your feet so that that which is lame may not be dislocated but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble and by this many become defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his very birthright. 
For you know that afterwards when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he could not find any place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. Hebrews 12.25 says, See that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven. Whose voice then shook the earth, but now he has promised, say it. Yet once more I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Praise God. So, now you know the book of Hebrews is just one huge warning not to draw back. What was happening in that context was that people, Christians were being under severe persecution. They thought, okay, I want to go back to the Jewish way. That way I don't have to be persecuted. And I know that Jesus will be content. Jesus will be okay with me going back and doing things the old way. And that I don't have to be persecuted. They wanted to redefine Christianity to avoid suffering. That is the exact same context that's happening in 2 Timothy. Okay. Paul, you know, the author of Hebrews is warning them if you turn back. To the old ways, like you turn back from every promise, you will not inherit anything. He's begging them to not count of temporal suffering worse than eternal suffering. People have turned away from Paul in 2 Timothy. And Paul's writing to maybe the only true friend that he has. And he's saying, don't, don't be ashamed of my chains. Don't be ashamed of my suffering. This is the only way. That same thing is happening today. People want to redefine Christianity and the words of Jesus to escape suffering. I mean, not even suffering, just social pressure. Right? Well, maybe Jesus didn't really mean to say this. Right? Or maybe the Bible, you know, it's outdated, so it's not talking about this. So we're going to go practice Christianity this way so that I could do something that maybe the world can understand. If we turn away, we turn away from the full gospel. We must guard our hearts. And not compromise on the truth that we know that has been preached to us here and that you have received from the word of God. And this right here is actually a central theme of the teaching of Jesus. He said in John 15, if you abide in me, you'll bear much fruit. If you remain in me. If you don't remain in me, you'll be cut out, thrown to the fire. It's good for nothing but to be burned. He gives three different parables about turning back in relation to the second coming. Okay? He tells one parable about two sons. Okay? I have only heard one preacher speak on this parable. Jesus shares a parable about two sons. He says, the kingdom of God is like a man that, like a father who had two sons. He told to one son, hey. Go work in my vineyard. And he said, yes, Father, I will. But then he didn't go. And then he said to the other one, you likewise go work in my vineyard. And he said, I won't, Father. But then he changed his mind and he went. And in front of this crowd of religious leaders, he asked them, which one of them did what their father told them to do? And everyone responded, well, the second one, the one that changed his mind, and he went. And Jesus continued preaching, saying, 
prostitutes and tax collectors walk in before you into the kingdom of heaven. Because they repented at the preaching of John the Baptist. And you saw John and you did not repent. In other words, it's not those who say they're going to go that enter heaven into the joy of the Father. It's those that go. Right? Following Jesus means actually following through which what you said that you were going to do. There's no credit for half-made assignments, right? A good marriage is when you commit to another person until death do you part. The marriage to Jesus is no different. You actually have to see it through to the very end. You are someone that does what they say that they're going to do. And there's many people that didn't have the normal, you know, I went up to the altar, so-and-so was preaching, I confessed my sin, and, you know, the normal salvation day, and they're going to be there. They changed their mind, and then they went. And there's many that said, well, I got saved so-and-so back then, but in the now, they're not following Jesus that won't be there. I'm a follower of Jesus not because eight years ago I said some words at a Chi Alpha service on campus. I'm a follower of Jesus because today I choose to follow Jesus. I obey him and I wake up in the morning and I want to give my due to him and my adoration to him today. Because I reject temptation and I, I count following Jesus better than anything that could be found in this world. That's what makes me a Christian. Jesus, Jesus shares another parable where he says, you know, it's called the parable of the talents, where Jesus, uh, it says that a master gave to each one different talents and then left for a long time, came back to see what they had done with what he had given them. And, and to the one that he'd given 20, he invested a turn it, I mean, he'd give him 10, he invested it, turned it into 20, and says, here are you, master. You know, this is what it's due to you. But then there was one to whom he had given only one talent, and he just buried it. And Jesus comes back, and the master came back, and he had nothing to give. He says, oh, I knew that you were a hard master, so I just wanted to give you back what, was, what you gave to me. And that's not what Jesus wants. He wants more. In Genesis, he told them, be fruitful and multiply. I want more like you, more in the image of God. Now he says, give me more spiritual children. Be fruitful and multiply. I want more in the image of Christ. You have to steward well what you've been given it, what you've been given, or you risk losing it altogether. And everybody has at least one talent. Everybody. Jesus shares another parable of ten virgins. Five of them had, all of them had lamps with oil burning, but five of them weren't ready to wait so long for his coming. And they began to ask the other ladies, okay, give us some of your oil so that we can keep waiting with you. And, and they said, absolutely not. So then I won't have nothing? No. So they, went, they all ran to the store, but by the time they came back, it was too late, and the door was shut, and the door wouldn't be open, not e even if they banged on the door as hard as they could. You have to keep your lamp burning. You have to keep the fire aflame. Stir up the gift of God that is in you by the laying on of my hands, is what Paul told Timothy. It is your responsibility to stir up the gift of God that is in you. My hope is that you would take personal responsibility for your own walk with God. In Leviticus 6, uh, in the Old Testament, when Moses is putting together the tabernacle, 
God brought fire down in a lamp in what they call the burnt offering. And he commanded the priests that they should keep the fire burning continuously all day and all night, never ending. I mean, I've been in hundreds of camping trips with new people I'm, I'm meeting on campus, you know. You make a fire at night and everyone's staying close to the fire to stay warm, you know. And guys will put their sleeping bags as close to the fire as they can and tuck in their, you know, to be close to the fire. But then when you wake up in the morning, there's barely anything left, right? There's like embers. To even try to like stoke up the fire again would be like a serious task. That's what happens when you don't watch your fire for one day. For one day, it could be, it could be deadly. God has given a fire in your heart by the grace of God that you receive through faith, but it is your responsibility to stoke the fire. It is your responsibility to keep the fire burning, to steward the talent that God has given you, to keep your lamp burning. So, stir up the gift of God that is in you by the laying on of my hands. I'm gonna share with you then three logs, three pieces of wood that can help keep your fire burning. Okay, three principles that are gonna help you keep that fire burning and grow. Okay, first is devotion. You have to have a real relationship with Jesus, okay? Not just yesterday's relationship, you know? When I don't talk to a friend for a year or two, they begin to feel like a stranger. How much more so my relationship with Jesus? He ought to be the closest person in my life. So I was in, um, I found a real amazing ministry, and I've served with them overseas multiple times. I've had the privilege, I was in Morocco for two months uh, telling people about Jesus, and I was in Oman for two months another time telling people about Jesus, working with the same ministry, and they're in the toughest places in the world, trying to win people for Jesus. And their conviction is to abide. And that's what a real move of God looks like. The moment I walked in there, he was like, hey, the first three hours of the day, you're not doing anything else other than you're spending time with Jesus. My young mind wanted to be like, well, yeah, people are busy, though. It's, like, it's a great time to go out and do evangelism and talk to them. And they're like, nope. Jesus says that if we don't abide with him, we won't bear much fruit. Their conviction was to tithe their day every single day. So there's like, you tithe your paycheck, tithe your time from now on. So for two months, they challenged me. He's like, would you spend two and a half hours with Jesus every day? That's their conviction. And if you go and join their ministry, that's what, that's what they're going to do. For two and a half hours, they're just going to worship Jesus, pray to Jesus. It's just the length of a movie. Talking to your best friend, right? Once you learn to talk to him, it goes by like that. You're sorry that you have to walk away. Sunday morning service is not enough. It's just a step into devotion. I mean, as a matter of fact, you know, this is something really personal to me because even now, you know, I've only been following Jesus for eight years. And even now, I've seen my friends walk away from God. And it grieves me to think that Jesus should delay calling my name. And that I may yet see my friends in the next 40 or 50 years walk away from the one who saved us. 
And if you were my dear friend, and many of you are, and the rest, I want to get to know you much better. And I knew that you were hinging your entire relationship with Jesus one night a week. Out of love, I would sternly correct. I would sternly try to encourage you to spend time with Jesus because I wouldn't count on you still walking with the Lord two years from now if you hinge your entire relationship with Jesus just on one night a week. How would you feel like if you said, I'm only going to talk to my husband one hour every week? It takes, it takes devotion and it takes consistent care and conviction. You guys know what conviction is? These are unmovable traits and habits in your life that you say, I will never, like, compromise. Pastor Kai stood up here and he shared with us his personal convictions for purity. And he said, I'm never going to compromise on these things. You have to have personal convictions when it comes to your devotional life. Yeah. Like, we have no problem telling somebody, hey, I'm sorry, I can't come hang out right now. I can't come do this. I'm at work. I can't leave. My boss will fire me. I would love to hear people say, I can come and do that right now. I'm spending time in prayer. Or I told Jesus I would commit the first hour of every single morning to talk to him. So I'd love to come hang out at 8 a.m. or whatever. And have conviction. Like eliminate the whenevers. Like, well, how, how often do you pray? Oh, just whenever. It takes discipline to upkeep a real relationship, like to be close to someone, right? Just, just whenever. Well, when you pray, what, what, what do you pray for? Just whatever. It takes conviction to have a real devotional life. We also need fellowship. We need each other. If I can Im imagine that even Paul at his last moment is saying, Timothy, would you, come, would you come be with me? Everyone else has deserted me. I have nobody else but God. Timothy, would you come spend time with me? I can only imagine if that was the personal, again, this is a very personal letter, that if that was the heart, like of the cry of his heart, how much more should do we need each other? Man, we, we all need to find ourselves a real friend. Someone that is willing to tell us the truth. And have hard conversations with us. I want somebody to be able to tell me, should my walk with Jesus look less than it is now? Hey, man, I love you, but I'm concerned for you. I, I actually, man, there's... I meet him on campus all the time. There's people that have never had a real friend. They have never had a real friend. I, I've been many people's first real friend. And sometimes I end up saying very dumb things like, hey, man, I love you, but wearing an anime outfit to class is not, <laughs> it's not the best way to you know, go about your life. And I can tell you ain't never had a real friend. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you're 20 years old. I'm the first one telling you this. <laughs> but I also am just lovingly concerned for the relationship with other people, you know. My, my small group leader, the man that led me to Jesus, was more concerned about my grades than I was. He was more concerned about my relationship with my parents than I was. He was more concerned about my relationship with my girlfriend than I was. He was like, hey, what, what are you, like, what, like, how, how late do you think that you should be hanging out with her? Do you have a conviction or is it just, just whenever? He helped me to build my life around biblical truth and he showed concern for me. He was a real friend to me. And this takes pursuit. It takes energy to have a real friend, right? And some of you, honestly, like, 
you should have a real friend outside of just like your spouse. Find a real friend. And it, if, you, if you're like, I actually don't know somebody that knows everything there is to know about me. Like, I can tell you wholeheartedly, Drew knows everything there is to know about me. That, it, that I know. You know? And, and you have to guard your heart of hurt and bitterness. It breaks my heart to see people. I've literally seen people throw out lifelong relationships over something so dumb. Like, he didn't call me when I was going through a hard time. I mean, stupid. Just like, forgiveness needs to be at the forefront of our mind. Fellowship, okay? The third log that will keep your fire burning is prophetic spirit. We need the Holy Spirit of God. The great thing about the difference between us and that Levitical priesthood I told you about is that God wants to keep bringing a new fire over and over and over again. You're not just left by your own strength trying to like stoke a fire that is going to die if you don't do anything. Like when you have a real relationship with Jesus and you've allowed the Holy Spirit to come into your life, he wants to bring new fire. I remember one of the first times I saw the prophetic spirit. It was my late beloved and good friend and hero of the faith, Brother Jets Mock. I saw him preaching on a college campus. And if you ever encountered him, you know when his commanding general voice, gravel, preached out, awake to righteousness and sin not. I remember that. I was that is, I want that. He had conviction to stand in front of a college campus and allow people to berate him and make fun of him for hours on end and never quit. You know, he preached at the University of Arizona for 50 years. I'm like rare to find a jewel that anyone will even follow Jesus for that long. Let alone have conviction to keep on preaching, you know. And if I mention his name and there was criticism in your heart, you got to be guarded of, of that hurt and bitterness I was talking about. But we need the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to help us keep the fire of God aflame in our lives. Man, praise God. Hey, we need to stoke the fire, right? That's why this church exists, to keep, us, to keep the fire burning, to stoke the fire. I want to come in here. I'm so glad. Every time I come in here, I like, I'm like challenged. Every single time. Like, Pastor Kai is actually watching out for my soul and guarding that I don't believe strange things and have real practical convictions to continue to walk with Jesus. Like, I feel shepherd by my relationship with him. We, like, we have everything we need to keep following Jesus. So um, I feel so passionate about this. I actually made this the entire theme for all of Chi Alpha for basically our very first year of ministry at the University of Arizona. And... I just said it over, I've literally taught about this very thing like 15 weeks back to back. And I just, our theme was, was keep the narrow. I was like, keep the narrow. And I told our students, every time you wonder what Chi Alpha is doing, you tell them, we're helping students to get on the narrow, and then I'm helping them to keep the narrow. Because I was tired of seeing other, like, attempts of people making quick decisions and then 
falling away just the same. Like, I'm not looking for just decisions for Jesus. I want lifelong disciples. I could go on campus right now and be like, hey, you want a better life? Decide for Jesus. I get decisions like that. I want lifelong disciples. And I want people to be making educated decisions to follow Jesus and to count the cost and say, I'd rather have this than that. And I want this because I see the eternal value in this. And that's what I'm doing. And that takes time. It takes time to, to do that, you know. I've, man, I've had so many students in the last year. Like, I can tell you the story of one that I just was talking about this. And he came up as like, I think the Lord wants me to break up with my girlfriend. And I said, okay, then do it. And he did. And then he just, he went with us to the Navajo reservation and he's on fire for God. As a matter of fact, when any student tells me anything, I just say, yeah, that sounds right. It's like, well, will Jesus have me to quit? Yep, he will. Do I have to break up? Yep. Will I have to change my, yep, you will, absolutely. Do I have to shave my beard? Yep, you have to. <laughs> Whatever it is they say, that's probably what the Lord's putting in their heart. I was like, yeah, get rid of it. <laughs> Drop it. You know? I don't want to make any shortcut for anybody. Like, I don't want to make a shortcut for somebody to find their own, like, relationship with Jesus on their terms. Like, I'll only follow Jesus if, blank. I was like, no, dude, you're going to have to quit that. Quit the rugby team right now. You want to follow Jesus? Let the dead bury their own dead. Well, I have to go bury my, my father. Well, I want to go get married first, and then I'll come follow you. No, you have to stop. Come follow me now. That's how Jesus talked. And so I sat up in front of our conference students every single week and in our small groups. I mean... I don't even know, a hundred times already. And I picked up this old Christian book and I read from it every single time I got in front of them. It's called Pilgrim's Progress. I don't know if you ever heard of it. You've read it, but it's, it's an old, profoundly deep book by an old preacher who's in prison for telling people about Jesus. And in, his, in prison, he has this dream and then he writes, the, and the book is his dream. It's this amazing story about this allegory of a, of a young man named Christian that's fighting to keep the narrow. He meets all kinds of temptations and all kinds of things that are fighting for his attention to pull him away from the narrow. Greed, money, fame. He goes into a city called Vanity Fair that the devil, it says in the book that the devil placed it to trap pilgrims along the way trying to get to the celestial city. In this, in this little village, you can buy whatever you want. Everything is accessible to you. Nothing is off limits. And everybody that lives in Vanity Fair used to be a pilgrim that was trapped there by the enticement of everything you could buy. And more than one student like, was like, that seems like our world right now. I was like, Absolutely. That is the university campus. That's the University of Arizona. Whatever you want, you can have. We have to keep the narrow. Keep the narrow all the way to the celestial city. That's where the reward is. That's where the promise is. So I'm actually going to read to you a portion of this book, if that's okay. That's all I did for the past year. I just read from this book. I'm going to do it again. Um, so, okay, so it's the very beginning of the book. Um, and, um, yeah, first God. Okay. It says, as I walk through the wilderness of this world, I lighten on a certain place where was a den and I laid me down in that place to sleep. And as I slept, I dreamed a dream. I dreamed and behold, 
I saw a man clothed with rags standing in a certain place with his face from his own house, a book in his hand, and a great burden upon his back. I looked and saw him open the book and read therein, and as he read, he wept, and he trembled. Not being able to contain, he broke out with a lamentable cry saying, what must I do? In his plight, therefore, he went home, and he refrained himself as long as he could so that his wife and children should not perceive his distress. But he could not be silent long because his trouble only increased. Wherefore, at length, he broke out his mind to his wife and children, and thus he began to tell them, Oh, my dear wife, and you, the children of my bowels, I, your dear friend, and I myself undone by reason of this burden that lies on my back. Moreover, I am certain informed that this our city will be burned with fire from heaven in which fearful overthrow both myself with you, my wife, and my sweet babes shall miserably all come to ruin. Except to which way I don't see. There might be some way of escape that could be found where, whereby we may be delivered. At this, his family were sorely amazed. Not because they believed that what he had said to them was true, but because they thought that some frenzied distemper had gotten into his head. Therefore, drawing towards the night, and they hoping that some sleep might settle his brains, with all haste they got him to bed, but the night was as troublesome to him as the day, wherefore instead of sleeping, he spent it sighing and in tears. So when the morning was come, they would know how he had fared. He told them, I am worse and worse. He also set to talking to them again, but they began to be hardened. They also thought to drive away his distemper by harsh and surely carriages towards him. Sometimes they would deride, sometimes they would shide, and sometimes they would quite neglect him altogether. Wherefore, he began to just retire quietly by himself to his chamber to pray and just pity them and to condole his own misery. He would also walk solitarily in the fields, sometimes reading, sometimes praying, and this is how he spent his days. Now, I saw upon a time when he was walking in the fields that he was, as he won't, reading in his book and greatly distressed in his own mind. And as he read, he burst out crying as he had done before, what must I do to be saved? And I saw that he looked this way and that way as if he would run. Yet he stood still. Because as I perceived, he could not tell which way to go. I looked then and I saw that a man named Evangelist came to him and said, My friend, why do you cry? I saw, he answered, Sir, I perceive by the book in my hand that I am condemned to die and after this come the judgment. And I find that I am not willing to do the first, and I'm not able to do the second. So evangelist told him, why are you not willing to die since this world is arranged with so many evils? The man answered, because I fear that this burden that is upon my back will sink me lower than the grave, and I shall fall into hell. And sir, if I be not fit to go to prison, I am not fit, I am sure, to go to judgment and from there to execution. And the thoughts of all these things make me cry. So Evangelist said to him, if this be your condition, then why do you stand still? He answered, because I know not which way to go. Then Evangelist gave Christian a parchment and there it was written within Flee from the wrath to come. The man therefore read it, looking upon evangelists very carefully, say, which way should I fly? And evangelist, pointing with his finger over a very wide field, said, do you see that yonder narrow gate in the distance? And he said, I, I don't think I see it. 
and said the other, well, then do you see the light that shines in the distance? And he said, yes, I think I do. Evangelist said, keep that light in your eye and go directly up to it. And then you shall see the narrow gate. And when you knock at that gate, it shall be told you what you must do. So then I saw in my dream that Christian began to run. Now he had not run far from his own door when his own wife and children perceiving it began to cry after him that he would return home. But the man put his fingers in his ears and ran on crying, life, life, eternal life. And so he never looked behind him, but he fled towards the middle of the gate and towards that yonder narrow gate. My question to you is, if you have the same joy thinking about being married to your groom than you had when you first believed, are you pursuing at that narrow gate with all your might, putting your fingers in your ears, trying to shut out the voices that are telling you that you should turn back, that there is another way, that what you're doing is wrong, that everything that you believe is somehow hateful? I'm gonna lead us, I know, I know the time has passed and we're gonna, we're gonna partake communion together, but we're gonna do it a little differently. And so um, if you would, uh, Go grab your communion cups, and we're going to examine our hearts diligently before we partake of it together. So, in this world, people want to be remembered by the things that they accomplished. In Japan, people say that if you want to be remembered, you build a house, you plant a tree, you write a book, or you have a son. Jesus did none of those things. He actually took these very simple elements and he said, I want you to remember me by these things. And it wasn't just the element static. It was actually, he said, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken and he took the cup and it says this is my cup poured out Jesus is saying like he doesn't want some statue of him victorious on a white horse coming to conquer the earth he actually said when you think about me I want you to think about me broken When you remember me, I want you to remember me having been poured out. That's what this is. And the Apostle Paul tells us to guard our hearts and examine ourselves. He actually tells the church in Corinth, many of you are sick and actually have died because you've taken communion in an unworthy manner. He says, the only requirement there is, is that you must discern the body. And basically what that means 
is that you give to Jesus all of your mind. You stay focused on, on him. Do you actually consider him to be the most prized relationship that you have? More than your own spouse? Than your own children? I want you to consider these things. Thank you for listening. If you are blessed by this episode and would like to help us create more content that magnifies and multiplies Jesus, would you consider giving a financial gift of any amount today? Whatever you give will go towards building the kingdom of God in the lives of people all over the world. Thank you for your support, and we pray many blessings over you. Thank you.